Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Mardi Gras celebrations started in New Orleans in the 1730s. The first jazz fest was 1970. Today, we commonly use the term Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest to talk about two events of equal importance. It says something about the significance of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival that in a handful of decades, it's grown from a small gathering of a few hundred music fans to attaining the same iconic and economic status as the nearly 300-year-old tradition that more than anything else really defines New Orleans. Jazz Fest attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors to New Orleans every year, and it reportedly pumps $350 million into the local economy. And then there's the not insignificant amount of money uh, the event itself generates. Uh, it's one of the most successful music festivals in the world. And according to uh, publicly available tax records, Jazz Fest's gross revenue these days is in the tens of millions of dollars. Now, the reason Jazz Fest finances are public information is because the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival is a non-profit event. It's owned by a small but extraordinarily prolific 501c3 organization called the Jazz and Heritage Foundation. The executive director of the Jazz and Heritage Foundation is Don Marshall. Don, welcome out to lunch. Great to be here. Jazz Fest is undeniably New Orleans music headliner, but we have other music festivals throughout the year. French Quarter Festival is the biggest of the city's free festivals, and in the recent past, the biggest ticketed music festival after Jazz Fest has been Voodoo Fest. Sig Greenbaum was one of the architects of the original Zoodoo Fest, and for a couple of years, in its biggest years really, he was the co-director. You might remember Mr. Greenbaum from when he was a radio personality known simply as Sig on alternative music station 106.7 The End. If you're a gamer, you might know Sig as the head of live events for the Los Angeles-based Overwatch League, an esports operation he built from the ground up into an international live sports league with more than 50 million players. Today, Sig Greenbaum is the owner of his own live events production company called Sigfest Events, and he's the founder of an event that might become one of the best things that's happened for a long time to local musicians called NOLA by NOLA. Sig, it's great to see you again. Welcome back to Out to Lunch. It is great to be back. Thank you for having me. Don, the founders of Jazz Fest, George Ween, Allison Miner, and Quint Davis, set it up as a nonprofit so that any money it made would find its way back into the city's music community. But back then in 1970, they probably couldn't foresee the immense amount of success this business model would have. Powered by the profits from the festival, the Jazz and Heritage Foundation owns and runs a long list of music-driven enterprises. They include 26 concerts a year at your own music venue over on Rampart Street, a series of music festivals including the Crescent City Blues and Barbecue Festival, the Louisiana Cajun Zydeco Festival, a music school, and the radio station WWOZ. And there's a lot more, but let's start with the list. 
Most organizations are serious about branding. Uh, every product they market has their name on it. It seems like the Jazz and Heritage Foundation has a different view of branding. I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if a good number of New Orleanians have no idea that the same folks who own Jazz Fest own WWOZ. Is there an intentional reason that these ventures appear to have no overt connection with the Jazz and Heritage Foundation? Um, nothing intentional. I mean, it basically is that we do so damn much. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's phenomenal that, you know, every day I wake up and we're dealing with a radio station, which is unique. We're dealing with an archive, which, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we were amazed at the, the wealth of, you know, information, recordings that we had that allowed us to even do the, you know, j uh, jazzing in place, jazz fest. Was it originally thought of as kind of like a museum of some sort? Well, it's just an archive where yeah. you sort of keep things and researchers come and everything. And we'd been collecting all the recordings from Jazz Fest for years and years, film and audio. And it was, it was sort of like, oh, this is nice. We have this. But then during COVID, then WWOZ was able to use these recordings and create their own Jazz Fest and really broadcast Jazz Fest around the world. So we have WWOZ. We are a fabulous music school, the Heritage School of Music, the Archive. We have four festivals. We do all kinds of you know, programming uh, with concerts. And then we actually have a, a huge philanthropic arm of the Community Partnership Grants where we give away $1.2 million a year to other cultural organizations, individual artists, filmmakers, um, pretty much anybody in the cultural industries that ask. And then uh, during COVID, we started a music relief fund, which we distributed $1.2 million to musicians, music workers, black masking Indians, culture bearers. And now we're, you know, the, the other extension of that is working with the, uh, the Music Rising uh, organization, which was founded by the Edge of U2. We'll be distributing $2 million to the music community. So. As far as branding, I think it's one of those things where we do so much, and even though we say presented by, that people just don't understand. Don, I'm getting tired hearing this, this list, so I, <laughs> I know, <laughs> really. <laughs> it's a long list, but it's, it's amazing that an organization in New Orleans does this much. Now, Sig, we've uh, talked on this show before about the parallel music economies in New Orleans. Uh, people who live here go to see musicians in clubs like Tipitina's and the Maple Leaf. We rarely go to hear music on Bourbon Street or even Frenchman Street these days. On the other hand, tourists and conventioneers who spend a lot more money than locals on a typical night out generally stay in the French Quarter. In 2021, you came up with a way of doing something nobody has done before, and that is to give musicians who play for locals access to the vast revenues generated by the tourist industry. You called the event NOLA by NOLA, and it was a music festival spread out around the city's music clubs featuring local musicians and funded by New Orleans and Company, the public-private organization that holds most of the tourist and convention purse strings. Because of the COVID pandemic, the inaugural NOLA by NOLA was largely online, but if you repeat this in normal times, you could conceivably create an event that would rival Austin's South by Southwest. Is that in fact what you're intending to do? What do you see as the future of NOLA by NOLA? Well, that is a long question. It is. Heck <laughs> <laughs> of an intro. Um, well, I'll first start by saying NOLA by NOLA, I'm a co-founder and there's a handful of people that were involved in it, but NOLA by NOLA was created out of necessity 
and it was created, and the name itself comes out of the idea of New Orleanians were going to have to help New Orleanians, NOLA by NOLA. This isn't anything but New Orleanians, and if we could get other people to be involved, fantastic. But it came out of the cancellation of Jazz Fest in October of 2021, uh, or in August of 2021, whatever that, that date was. And for me, I was actually getting on a plane to go to Chicago. It was 6 in the morning. I was producing a festival up there that I was working on. And I was reading an article. It was a Tuesday. And uh, I, I was reading an article in Onola.com. And I was talking about the impact of the cancellation of Jazz Fest, which is a statement to the strength of Jazz Fest, and it, that this was the guiding light for so many businesses, restaurants, bars, venues, and that they'd all been waiting for this moment during the pandemic years. And it just was this reality that these so many people, and like all of us, we know a lot of guys who run or work at music venues or musicians, and the impact just seemed pretty overwhelming. And uh, as I sat there at the airport, I started thinking like, how do we how do we do this? And I actually came up with the name while I was boarding the flight. I bought the URL as I was getting to my seat, <laughs> hoping that I'd get one last bar of my you know GoDaddy account before it goes away. Um, but I texted a couple of different people as I was boarding that flight to ask what they were doing with their Jazz Fest bookings. Because as you know, Jazz Fest is during the day and at night till sunrise, there's a whole nother economy happening that is so important to the music culture here and the music economy. And there was this sense from Howie at the Howl Wolf, to a Tank at Tipitina's, uh, that and others that they were going to try to move forward and I said well look I, I'd like to be part of the conversation if there was a conversation to be had and by the time I got off the plane uh, uh, I got a call from uh, from people over at Preservation Hall that there was going to be a, a call with a bunch of the venues and um, so I joined the call and, and pitched the idea and fortunately the collaboration and the desire to work together to make this happen, to promote each other, uh, was there. And it actually wasn't online. It wasn't until we did a fundraiser, we did an online fundraiser. But all the shows, we did 320 shows over 10 nights in 35 venues. And it was absolutely amazing because as you stood there, you know, there was a sense of something that was not just seeing your favorite band at Tipitina's. There was, I mean, it was this moment, right, of like, A, I'm out with people, I'm seeing live music, I'm at Tipitina's, I'm at Helen Wolf, I'm at the Maple Leaf, I'm at Bufa's, I'm wherever I am. Um, and then there was this, this sense of community that was very present. And we saw it from the musicians, we saw it from the staff, and we saw it from the fans. And so... I think I gave a longer answer than your nope. long question. No, that's, uh, <laughs> that was very necessary. They, uh, but, I can't believe all that happened on a uh, that flight to Chicago. It's only a two-hour flight. It is. Uh, it, well, but the, you know, you, the taxi once you land <laughs> yeah. to get to the gate is, is quite long. Uh, but what was amazing, and to his credit, um, that was a Tuesday. I was on that first call on Wednesday. Uh, Paul Peck, who has a company called Fandium, was was part of this, and. Mike Martinovich from Preservation Hall and Benji from Preservation Hall, a lot of people, and all the venues were on. And on Friday, we had Stephen Perry on the call. And Stephen absolutely, with his tornado <laughs> approach to things and energy, jumped right in. And he's like, we're going to do this. 
and and on Saturday he was upping the scale of what he wanted to do, and it was this moment of just how are we going to all make this happen? So should I think of this as the nighttime jazz fest? Uh, you know, I think there's it is a it's a nighttime festival without okay. a daytime festival, right? Okay, like, right, right. And I, I it's. It is a thing that is. We're going to do it again. We're going to. We're working on 2022 right now, and it's exciting to think of what the potential can be. And again, for your question, we see all the possibilities of New Orleans. You know, the the textures and culture, and arts, music, business economy, of New Orleans as being something that can be part of. Nola by Nola. Sig, I, I thought for a while here you would be foes with each other, but not at no. all. No, no, it's no. Uh, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I mean, give me some free pizza, and I like yeah, anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. John, this probably happens to you. This is one of those events where there must be thousands of people that say they were at the first jazz fest, and we know that's not true. We right? know that's not true, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe the third, but uh, no, it's it's amazing to see the the history. I mean, when you look at the photos from you know. 1970 and they're like you know a hundred people or there'll be three people at a stage and some something but I mean it's it's a typical thing in this cultural economy that you plant the seed and things grow I mean Nola by Nola will be bigger next year and then huge the third year and keep growing and stuff so that's one of the great things about this cultural community that we have that's New Orleans then and just to hear that the the venues the clubs and stuff working together I think people here in New Orleans love to work together they do to do things my my feeling and and i thank you for your your support and spirit again with it um my feeling was nobody rallies around each other better than new orleanians and we've seen it (laughs) way too many times but we rally and that was part of the nola by nola thought was all right something has to happen let's rally together and what was a really amazing moment in our marketing was we were going to do a tease on social media without a press release, just put this X out there, this very ornate looking wrought iron X on all the social media. And we had a, a Zoom call with you know 30 venue people, whether owners, general managers, whatever it was. And we said, listen, the, the, the power of this message is if you all tag each other in your social media. Does anybody have a problem doing that? And these are people who are competitive, you know, and some of the venues are extremely competitive, whether they're small venues against small venues or big venues against each other. And with 30 faces on Zoom, everybody's like, no, I have no, I, let's do it. And the next day we did it. And, you know, to see all the venues tagging each other's social media and you clicked on, you saw these, you know, Howlin' Wolf, Tipitina's, you know, all again, all of them working together. That alone was a statement of this rallying ability. And, and that's at the time. And I think it's going to continue as we move forward with it. You know, we talk to people that run business incubators who are in there, and they say, like in San Francisco, they're all kind of at each other's throats. And, and here, everybody wants to help each other out. I, I heard you talking about that on, on your show a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, talking about the exit strategy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Which was a, I, I almost feel silly being on this show after oh, that show. Oh, no, no. They, uh, <laughs> you got guys mm, who are talking right. billions of dollars. You, you, could, <laughs> that's, you have that with you right now. You paid for the pizza, so yes, it's going to be. I? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Sig Greenbaum from SigFest Events, the company behind NOLA by NOLA, and Don Marshall, Executive Director of the Jazz and Heritage Foundation, the folks who own JazzFest. Don, i got to tell you, of all the amazing things you're doing, there was one small end that really impressed me, I guess because I teach in a business school, but you're trying to help nonprofits in a business sense to be able to make it, and uh, that's amazing. Well, there, there, we do a lot of different programs, as I've said before, but you know, one of the, the most interesting is our Catapult Fund, where we felt you know, we're, we're doing all this for the nonprofits, the individual artists. What about for the commercial business, the startups and everything? So I guess it was about 12 years ago we started Catapult, and we've gone through you know, each year there's a different theme. We've done a lot with the food industry. Um, this year we decided that we were really going to focus on some of the vendors at all of our festivals. So it's basically uh, design, jewelry, beauty, beauty products, fashion. And so we're, we're in the middle of it right now. And basically 14 different organizations, startups, um, are in the class. And we work with Xavier, uh, their small business administration office and everything. And we do about 12 classes each week or one a week. And they'll deal with, with marketing, branding, you know, the internet, uh, business plans and everything. So we're trying to build some of the small entrepreneurs um, who are not, non, not for profit, but for profit. That's, uh, that it's is amazing. great, yeah. That's kind of the missing component to all of, uh, all of this. So you actually, in a previous life, uh, worked, <laughs> worked for um, Activision, the people that make Call of Duty and all yep. those video games. What got me about all that was, first of all, most people don't know how large that is. It's unbelievable how big it is. But it seems like you're always looking for the next big thing. I mean, you didn't, <laughs> when you got in there, that wasn't anything, right? No. I mean, so, so uh, is I mean, this, it was something. Yep. Um, and what's in, what, what has been this constant thing for me that you have <laughs> maybe a character flaw <laughs> is... Um, I do really love that challenge of something that's never been done. And I wasn't looking to leave Voodoo when I left Voodoo. I loved what I was doing, and the guys at C3 Presents are amazing. And to be in a situation where, you know, the sentence would be Jazz Fest, Voodoo, Mardi Gras was always, um, you know, incredible. But when Activision Blizzard reached out to me and positioned this thing that they were doing, which was a global esports league with franchises in various cities and, around and the world. And just to help people out that, that don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. So you've got people playing games, but then everybody gets together in an arena of some sort. Yeah. So what we were doing was, historically, I'll do a quick esports thing. Uh, historically, there were like tournaments. And people would show up for tournaments, and there were gaming organizations. Maybe there was a, a prize to be had, uh, $10,000 or something. With uh, Activision Blizzard, with the Overwatch League, they sold franchises to cities you know, to entities in cities, and they start, they were $20 million and up. Interestingly, the same price as an NBA franchise in like 1970-something. And uh, the goal was to have them playing home and away around the world together. And, you know, esports and gaming have always had a very large audience. And as somebody who was always looking at, you know, marketing and trends, you couldn't help but see, like, all right, there's something happening. I knew a lot of people in that area, but not, not involved in it, for me, personally. And um, it was always, to me, ska music. It was, like, always going to be the next big thing that was never the next big thing. And, um, 
But when they positioned Overwatch League to me, that felt like, wow, that, that might be that secret sauce that you start building fan bases in New York and Houston and Dallas and Shanghai and Chengdu and Seoul and Los Angeles, and people start showing up to big arenas. This is something. And I, I just dove into it. I was like, this, I can't pass on this. I want to work globally. I want to do something different, you know, all these things. And it was incredible. And ultimately, you know, we, um, we did our finals, like our Super Bowl in 2018 at Barclays Center in New York, sold it out in two weeks, did the finals in 2019 at Wells Fargo in Philadelphia. So we were, we were doing this in NBA arenas. And finally, in 2020, we did it as a virtual one with in players in Korea, broadcast people all over the world in the cloud broadcast technology, nobody sitting next to each other, people in their apartments switching commercials for Twitch. It was a mind-boggling experience. You know, if you stayed at Activision, um, you would have been bought out by Microsoft. Yes. You know, Bill Gates would have been your boss. <laughs> yes, he so would have been. <laughs> that would have been an odd thing to do. They, uh, Don, you've been ex either led or the first person in the door for so many things, like the Contemporary Arts Center. You're the first director over there. You've had the New Orleans Film Festival, La Crue de Vue, Tennessee Williams Festival. How do you know these things are gonna make it? We have other festivals that can become one and done. Is there something, is there a common denominator for ones that make Well, I think it's just getting people together. Like we talked about the clubs for NOLA by NOLA. Our members in, in instigating the film festival, just inviting different people in the community to my, my house and sitting around <laughs> saying, we're gonna start a film festival. And Lock even the like, door, make them right. work it out. And it's like, how do we do this? We send out a press release, you know, whatever, whatever. So same thing with Crew de Vue. I mean, that was sort of built from the ashes of the crew of clones. And I just decided, you know, I grew up in New Orleans, loved Mardi Gras coming through the French Quarter. So let me, let me call together the, the crews that were disbanded. And it was like, okay, we'll get a permit. It's a Saturday before, two weekends before Mardi Gras, perfect timing, Valentine's Day. We could march to the French Quarter because it was out of the Mardi Gras seasons. But it was just, again, pulling people together. And people here in New Orleans are good at working together. So in some ways, it's uh, maybe a little easier than other, other towns? I think it's much, much easier. I got to think it's easier in this town. I always tell people, if you, if you move to New Orleans, you, you might be an outsider like in anywhere else whatever it is that you're into whatever whatever you want to do you are going to find like-minded people and and with that is that energy that you have like-minded people you can kind of do anything you want and i'm in uh in crew de Vue and uh it was when i moved here 20 1999 it was the first parade i went to um, and I was like, I got to do that. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, I just remember sitting on Royal Street watching it go by and just like, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I want to be part of it. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite things to do. Well, it's a welcoming community. Like you were saying, people who move here and they're into something, they are welcome to be a fan of this music group or this club or this body. I mean, look at Chewbacca. I mean, how that thing has <laughs> yeah. just exploded because they're so open to everybody. And the excitement that, you know, I come from Atlanta, we don't do this type of thing. Right. I can get costumed and dance to the streets of New Orleans. And, you know, I think that's the, the real richness of New Orleans, the thing that makes us so unique, is that we are collaborative. I mean, we're, we're willing to work together. When I was living in California, my family was here and I was going back and forth for Activision Blizzard. The, the, 
kind of like the, you know, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans, right? Was when there was the sinkhole on Canal Street, and all of a sudden there's sinkhole to Mayo celebration. I'm like, <laughs> right, right, I'm showing this to people in California. They're not right, getting it. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> thinking of building a festival around it's gotta it. It's got to be, right? I want to do it every year. We celebrate everything. Everything. You know? <laughs> Give us an excuse. What, um, I guess you took a deep breath for, for COVID, and uh, both of you took, uh, took a bit of a hit there, and, and Don, I... I just really started thinking about this. Not only did you know, you lost the revenue, but not all your expenses, uh, you know, disappeared. You still had expenses for the festival. Correct. No, I mean it's it's been an interesting time, but uh, you know, and yes, we did not receive any revenues basically to function for the last two years. But luckily, we had some reserves, and you know, quite frankly, from the foundation perspective, we've been busier than we were two years ago and stuff because we've. We sort of ramped up a lot of our programming to make sure we're employing musicians. Heritage School of Music, with you know, we had 300 students. We're down to about 150, but we went virtual, so teachers had to learn how to do that. So, you know, I, I think you know the amount of work that it's taken to sort of combat COVID during this time to keep our musicians employed, our educational programs going, everything has been really a, you know a lot of work, but it's been very re rewarding. And I think we're learning a lot. I think everybody coming out of COVID, there'll be new ways of thinking about things, new way of doing things and stuff. I mean, just like, you know, the virtual and the streaming of all the concerts, I think that's going to have a long-term impact on how the music economy functions right. here. And Don, when I told people I was having you on the show, everybody wanted me to ask, what was it like, what is it like getting bands? I guess some are begging you and then you're begging others. How does it work? Well, I mean, it, it yes, uh, is the answer. But basic, basically, you know, the it, it was interesting. The festival basically scheduled, you know, the bands for 2020, then rescheduled them for 2021, and now rescheduled for 22. So, you know, 90% of the bands were scheduled three times and everything. <laughs> and, you know, I think Jazz Fest does a really good job of really recognizing the major talent of bands. I think... You know, each year you have a few new groups coming in. There, there are a lot of new groups in town that some, you know, maybe for this year will not perform there. But, um, you know, we're committed. I think 82% of the musicians are from Louisiana that perform at Jazz Fest and everything. So, uh, you know, our goal is to really support the music community. And Sig, you've always been uh, that guy that's trying to find... Uh, new markets, new ideas. In a way, NOLA by NOLA is a brand new market. We're the, as locals, we're the people that, that, you know, didn't count in a way for these yeah. events. Yeah. It was, I think it was really interesting was to, again, to see Stephen Perry and Mark Romig from New Orleans and Company, how it clicked for them that this was a new way to embrace and market the city. And that has been really exciting because uh, they did jump in with both feet and with a lot of passion behind it and so much support for what we were doing. By the way, we won a Louis recently. Wait, and tell us what a Louis is. A Louis is a Louis Award from Louisiana Tourism. So there oh, you go for right. best event, best festival. There you go. Not Louis Louis the song. Not Louis <laughs> okay, Louis the was, song. Don, what is the need for Jazz Fest to be sponsored by um, you know, big people like Shell? Well, it, I mean, basically, it was interesting. After Katrina, Shell 
I think with their experience in you know the Netherlands and everything with flooding, really, and having been a major presence in New Orleans, and then obviously moving a lot of their operations back to Houston, felt the need to really do something great for New Orleans, and this was the perfect way for them to do that. So it's important that we have a title sponsor. I mean, it's a, a large ticket item, and it really contributes to the revenues of the of the festival, which again we give back to the community. So. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do as much uh, programming without Shell sponsorship. And, and Sig, you worked for a lot of different people for a long time, but then you said, "The heck with it! I'm going <laughs> to be the boss. It's going to be mine." What was what was that like? It was terrifying. It still is, <laughs> uh, but fortunately, it's gone well. So, um, you know, it was interesting during uh, the pandemic. Activision Blizzard, Overwatch League, did a restructuring. It was understood. It came out of left field to a certain degree, but uh, at the same time, I kind of was always a little concerned of like, wow, we're, they're paying us to not produce events right now. And it happened. And um, for 48 hours, I was definitely taken back, disappointed. I was working on things into the next season already and had been involved since before we had teams. So, so every, they just got out of this portion of the business. They're still doing it. They okay. just, they, they were, we went from doing it every week in two cities with you know 12 teams and being on two continents to being online. And so we were no longer in NBA arenas or theaters around the world. We were in people's living rooms, you know, the players and the broadcasters. And it was just a moment that you know it's an expensive thing to carry a lot but of that people. isn't you, Sig. You're people no. getting together, you know. Yeah, and that's, that's the what kind of I want to do. Are, yeah. And so um, I was definitely taken back and shocked and you know, kind of took a minute and immediately started having interviews with some various great companies that under normal circumstances I would have been very excited to go work for. And I just kind of decided in combination to people calling me very quickly, I didn't want to go do that again. I didn't want to go work three years for somebody else and find out for whatever reason, I'd been in radio, I'd been fired enough times in my life, <laughs> didn't need to do it again. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I kind of took the leap of faith and it's been really exciting because it's kept coming and go, it's just been, it's been amazing. And, and things like NOLA by NOLA, I mean, I get to do it here. So that's <laughs> super special. And, and Don, how hands-on is the foundation in running uh, WWOZ? Well, I mean, WWOZ is actually a separate nonprofit organization. We are the owner of the license and basically have, you know, our, our board of directors is their board of directors in a sense. So um, they have an entirely wonderful staff. So it's not a lot of hands-on activity. It's just a lot of collaborative projects and everything. And Don, you have a big board, right? That's what I've always heard. Pretty large board, 27 members. It's um, a huge table. It's a huge table. Uh, I think the, the reason for that is to make sure that we are very inclusive and we have representatives uh, from across the, the entire New Orleans community and stuff with different backgrounds and everything. So that was part of the reason for the growth was to make sure that we were inclusive. Uh, that started off with a very small board of, of business people and we brought in a lot of different people from different cultures. The cultural economy is the lifeblood of New Orleans. Without our music, our musicians, and our music festivals, now with apologies to Tennessee Williams, we'd just be Cleveland. There's no argument that the single biggest thing that has ever happened to promote New Orleans music to the world is Jazz Fest. Don, certainly it takes hundreds of people to produce Jazz Fest every year, but ultimately, 
the buck stops at your desk. And I know you're typically modest and don't often step into the limelight, but once in a while, someone should tell you just how much New Orleans appreciates you. And Sig, New Orleans musicians and music fans are glad you came back home. We look forward to seeing what SIGFest events you have in store for us in the future. And gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome. great. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Don Marshall, Executive Director of the Jazz and Heritage Foundation, and Sig Greenbaum, owner of SIGFest Events and founder of NOLA by NOLA. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Don and Sig's adventures in the music business by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos in this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Aster Morgan. You can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Rashidi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane Three Roll is cane to glass and by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie and by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour Podcast Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com 